and uh, today's uh, speaker is uh, Jane G from Islington. I've been in situations where the outcome would have been better if I just said I can't do that. Instead, I took on the impossible, failed and beat myself up for it. I would go about recreation, sleep and food to find myself focused on the task at hand. Relentlessly, I considered different perspectives until I found a way to get the job done. This depleted the energy I needed to survive. I began to withdraw from my family and friends. One day, I was sitting on the carpet in my home office looking at a pile of papers. I couldn't organise the papers or find the ones I needed. I couldn't get off the floor. I could only cry. I thought my life would never get better and I wanted to die. My therapist said, when you learn you can't do it, then you've got a chance. So far you're so far, you keep finding more energy to keep trying. The best thing for you to do is fall apart. Realise your life is unmanageable and understand that you can't do it all. When my life got as bad as it could possibly get, I started coming to ACA. I discovered I had taken step one by saying, I can't do this anymore, I quit. My life got better from that moment on. I had hit the bottom. While giving all you can is admirable, I've learned in ACA that it's better for me to know my capabilities and limitations when I can't do something. I need to just let it go. When I see my friends struggling now, I don't try to fix their lives for them. When they have hit their bottom, they will let go and reach out for help, as I did. I have finally discovered there is nothing noble in the struggle. I surrender. Hello everyone, my name is Jane. I'm an alcoholic and an adult child. Um, my sobriety date is the 16th of October 2010 and I think I started going to ACA, I wish I'd noted the date down but I'm about four years in, it was just a bit before the lockdown and then um, yeah so um, and going to ACA, well, it might be a bit longer, I have to try and figure it out, I'm useless um, with time time spans. Um, I thought I'd given up smoking for about four years and then something flashed up on my Facebook and it's more like seven, so time evades me. But, um, yeah, so I'm an alcoholic and an adult child and um, yeah, um, my alcoholism always said, and just reading a bit in there where it says, oh, you'll swear off, you'll never be like your parents, you'll never do what your parents done. And in fact, I've done a lot worse, you know, to my children and um, 
some of my children or one of them. Both, I've got three, three kids to, um, that are a lot older than my youngest who turned 22 last week, but my oldest child is now two months sober and I'm terrified to tell him about ACA because um, he's already asking me loads of questions about AA, so I'm a bit like, you know, that's better out than in, but there's going to be a bit of a rocky road ahead, but I'm just so grateful that he's got the recovery because I was praying for him to come in for ages, but um, yeah, my, my alcoholism, I just, you know, I never, um, I never used to think there was a problem. Um, I just thought I was different. I thought this is it. It runs in the family. My whole family is like this, you know. I didn't know no different. That was, you know, my whole, whole life I've been brought up the alcoholism and dysfunction um my mum um well she didn't actually leave what happened was um she went out she was always out with i used to live on the pub doorstep and she um when it used to get late she'd say go home and i'll be home soon and one morning, I remember waking up, my dad was screaming, he was in a rage, he was like, where is she? Why hasn't she come home? And it transpired that she'd gone off with a fella from the pub in the blackout, and um, she'd found up in Blackburn, which if you're not in the UK, is like about 400 miles away, it's like a three four hour journey and um my dad was livid you know she had disappeared before but this was like you know the ultimate thing and he was like if she comes back i'll kill her he was very he was a very violent man and you know i think at the time he bloody would have done but she was too scared and she never ever come back um I was seven at the time, so I was left with my violent raging alcoholic dad. And um, my sister did leave and go to live with her for a bit, but she was like 12 and when it happened, and then she was a teenager, so it's, um, yeah, she had that opportunity, but I was just sort of stuck with my dad and he sort of brainwashed me about my mum leaving me and, you know, obviously, she did leave, but she was too scared to come back because of the threats that he sent and that, so I grew up with my dad and it was just, it was total bloody carnage. Um, he didn't have a clue. He was so like he was raging, you know, he never got over my mum leaving and, you know, the shame of thought on the family and you know, especially it was just all fueled by the alcoholism. So it was just 
trying to dysfunction and I just grew up thinking it was all normal, you know. Um, the school had back then, I mean, it's like going back over 40 years ago now, or like 45 years ago, I was seven then. And, um, Yeah, the authorities did sort of pick up on it, but back then they didn't, you know, there wasn't no child protection. You know, there was, but it was very vague and you could just, like, fanny them off and they wouldn't take no notice. So I just grew up, grew up in it and I used to say, I'm never going to drink, never going to do this, never going to do that. By the time I was 16, I was like leaving home, you know, and then I went and had a relationship with a man who was even more violent than my dad. So that was just few it was just violence and alcohol like for the next thirteen years. I can't, you know, a lot of my adult life I can't remember a lot of it because I was like a blackout drinker from the beginning. And um, even before I left at 16, I had a long history of like solvent abuse, um, acting out, I was excluded from school, I had, you know, a lot, a lot of problems all associated with my upbringing. And um, yeah, I guess that just went on for many years, many, many years. and. Um, Yeah, it's just too many years, but thankfully I'm out of it now. Um, yeah, so in between all them years, I had uh, three, three children. Um, and it, I didn't know how to be a parent, so hence why I say they've, you know, sort of been their adult children now, but I've been sober for 10 years, so I've made a big sort of amends in that time, but um, there has been damage done to them, you know. But um, my drinking, the last, when the shit really hit the fan and I um, stopped drinking, or it led up to me stopping drinking, I was uh, um, I was representing my work and I you, you might, I guess you've heard of it even if you're not in the UK, but I was at a big plush too at the Royal Albert Hall representing my work all places and I took my daughter with me. It was a big gala show and the last thing my manager said to me, she was like, don't go near that free bar. And I was like, I can't do that, but you know, being the crazy alcoholic that I was, I thought I wasn't going to go near it, but that was like trying to drag wild horses away from, you know, water. I was straight in there, and um, I don't remember much about what happened, but I remember waking up in the police station, and I was like, this is not my normal police station. I knew I was... I know it's in the police station, but not my local one where I broke up before. 
And it turns out that um, I've gone out for a cigarette and um, yeah, well, I'm not even sure what happened, but I didn't get back in. I created the was a nuisance and um, yeah, the security wouldn't let me in and I caused such a stink. They called the police and then I got arrested for assaulting the police and um, being drunk and disorderly and hence I woke up the next day in the um, police station like naked. They threatened to kill myself and um, not knowing how the bloody hell I got there at all all in blackout and it was hours later you know they had to say to me you know do you remember you was with your um daughter i was like oh my god no i didn't even i couldn't even remember that they told me that's how much my blackout got me and um yeah, they wasn't going to let me out, but to cut a long story short, they let me out and they gave me AA's number and I was like on bail and they said, if you don't do something, you're more likely going to go to jail anyway, but just to get help. And that's when I actually come to AA. Um, not initially with the um, thing that I'm going to come, go like go to AA to get sober. It was my get out of jail card, like, oh, I'll go. So when I go back, I can tell them all about it. But when I started looking up the stuff on the AA website, I was kind of like in awe. I was like, bloody hell, there are all these people like me that, you know, have drunk and recovered because um, for all them years blackout and carnage getting arrested swearing I'd never drink again you know abandoning my children doing you know you know just things that brought so much shame on me like how can I live through it um, I used to think, I didn't know that there was a solution, I never knew nothing about AA, I just thought this is my lot, you know, I didn't know. Once I'd been to the alcohol recovery service and they said, you know, stop you off with a drink style and I remember walking out there thinking, these guys haven't got a clue because I can't keep no drink style you know. I don't even know what I'm doing after two drinks, let alone write a diary. So I never went back. I don't know, I might have I've gone back and said, look, I can't bloody do a diary. I might have got some other type of help, but I never, so it went on for years. But, um, yeah, my coming to AA, I still, you know, so I phoned up the website, yeah, well, not the website, the office, and um, they sent me a little piece of um, paper with, with like a newcomer's pack and three local meetings. And I was like, oh, that's the one I'll tell the um, meow. Just <laughs> see a cat, cat come across the screen. Um, I'll tell them I've been to that meeting and I was still, it was because I was just bloody, you know, 
I was so, um, I had nothing, you know, no self-esteem, no, you know, I just couldn't, the thought of going to meeting new people, like, and saying I'm an alcoholic, I just couldn't face it, and um, I just, I just didn't know, and then, in between all that, me getting the stuff and going to AA, I was like two weeks, two weeks sober, and I'll always remember it was like Halloween. My daughter was going to go around to um, my good friend, where well, we were both going Halloween, we always had this Halloween party, and um, just really another excuse to do something with the kids and get pissed, you know, we had parties bloody every week, make up excuses to have them, but um, it was frigging on me, you know, my alcoholism and I sort of stopped for two weeks, but in that two weeks I've been screaming, I was like the wild woman, the wrong girl, screaming, shouting, effing and blinding, I used to be smashing my head on the wall punching myself and um, even my kids then were going have a drink mum you can't do this you can't do it and I was like I've just got to get this bloody detox sober and I, I had done it before stayed like a month sober but this time it was like the worst ever feeling and on the day of the party I thought right men I thought I'm going to drink tonight, that is it, I'm going to wind up in jail because I know, you know, this last two weeks I'm going to explode and um, I went with Lauren to get a Halloween costume and I was in the little shop up the Angel which is an area close to me and the sweat was pouring off me, I thought that's it. And have a drink and go to jail. It, you know, there is no answer to me stopping. I can't do it. And I always say this is like my God moment because I heard a voice in my head and it said to me, You don't have to go to the party, go to the AA meeting that you're going to tell the police about. And it was the meeting that I into like the last 10 years of my life and um, it was right near to where the shop was where I was getting the costume and it was late because I'd left, I'd left going to the shop all day long because I knew what was going to happen so um, I just said to Laura I'm not going to the uh, I'm going to the AA meeting and her little face lit up. She was only 10, but she knew what it meant because she'd been watching me on the laptop for the last two weeks, like looking at AA stuff, not drinking. So she kind of had half an idea. She was like, yeah, mum, go, go. And um, I walked round to the meeting. I said, big crowd of people outside. And I was like, this. I said, I'm not, I'm not going, I just couldn't face it. And I walked back up the road and then 
I stay a little face and I just say, I always say this is my dick Whittington moment, if you're familiar with the tale. So I turn around, I turn around and I went back to the uh, meeting and I just run down the stairs, I was like, through a rat, I was like, shoo, straight down the stairs and um, once I got in the meeting and sat then it's like I felt, you know, it's like years of all that pent-up frustration and, you know, everything. I just sat there and I was like, I see the scrolls and the traditions on the wall. And it was like I just felt a wave of calm come over me. And I was like, bloody hell, I just felt like this is what I've been waiting for for years, you know. and um, I just never knew, you know, that was what I had been looking for, you know, all them times I thought I can't drink. I just never knew that there was help out there. And um so basically that's that's kind of it. I was still bashing my head on the wall for about another year, even going to AA, but I'd done what they said, I just kept going back. I couldn't talk, you know, I was so fucked up. I just, it took about 18 months to start actually talking to people, but I had a lot of commitments at the beginning and um, I had them for the next 10 years. I've always had like three or four commitments and then in the lockdown, a lot of meetings closed and I started a new local one. Um, but, um, yeah, I keep busy and with regard to the ACA stuff, it was after I've been in AA, um, I think about, well, I'm sure I've been going to ACA about four or five years, someone suggested going to ACA because it was looking at, you know, the other traits and that that I've found very, very hard to sort of work through or let go, you know, um, different sort of defects of character and um, stuff. Um, so yeah, I've had, um, it's been very good for me as well, ACA as well as AA. I've had a couple of um, fellow travellers. I have found it a little bit harder than ACA because people don't seem as committed just from my point of view people I've met and um yeah but I've got to about well I've got to step four in ACA but I'm still working still a work in progress but um I know I'm an adult child you know um yeah um, is the time up, Maria? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I do AA, ACA, and I know I have to do it the rest of my life, and um, it really, really helps me, you know. I don't think of drinking no more. Um, I certainly know when I'm going to start acting up or things that happening for me, you know, I don't live in denial, 
and quite good at, you know, being consciously aware, you know, of what's happening around me and being consciously aware of other people, if that makes sense, you know, I don't jump to conclusions with anyone, I just, you know, just try and be patient and gentle with everyone and um, be the best person I can. So I hope that made sense to someone. I'll leave it there. All right, thank you, everyone. Thank you.